Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Well, that's my cue. So here we go. It's another episode of Triple R with me and my guest. And uh, I'm double dipping once again uh, for my guest uh, as we continue our theme on health, communication, and the body. We've just finished talking about some really interesting sort of niche areas, and we are now ready to get to some of the more mainstream issues, and that's kind of where we'll be staying. We'll be talking about really important issues uh, on the relational communication side uh, that you may see these topics enter into the political sphere, uh, but we'll be talking strictly about like the, the communicative side of them. And I want to start, of course, with traditional uh, health communication between um, patients and their providers. And to help me do that is a guest all the way back from season one, episode six, Rob Matheny. Rob, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Great to be back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, normally when we have return guests, I don't need to ask them to reintroduce themselves, but I feel compelled to ask you to do that because today you'll be here in less of a communication uh, academic capacity and more of your role in understanding, you know, how healthcare works on the inside. So can you give us a little bit of that intro of your professional side? Yeah, so while I do study communication, um, you're absolutely right. I currently I work uh, for a major uh, healthcare organization here in the Detroit area um, as an administrator. Um, I've been with them for three years. My role uh, initially was in, as an organizational effectiveness consultant. So we were focused on um, organizational design, employee engagement, employee relations. Um, I did a, a bunch of executive coaching, um, helping executives uh, be more purpose-driven, better communicators. Uh, and then during COVID, um, a lot of my focus became uh, uh, around the, uh, the communication channel inside the organization, uh, the, the information that was being disseminated from the top of the organization to our frontline employees and then back so that we could uh, be agile and react in real time to the issues that we were seeing, as well as focused on how our employees were managing in the time of, of, of crisis, managing through stress, managing through trauma. And that really pivoted me. Now I run our neurophysiology uh, clinics inside a department of neurology, and I'm a 100% administrator with a team of about uh, 50 people that work for me across uh, eight different clinics. There you go. So very different than talking about the theory behind conflict, which is, again, why I felt the need to reintroduce you in this capacity. So if, if you're cool with it, I'd like to just jump right in to some of the maybe myths uh, or, or you know fallacies surrounding what communication looks like in the environment of healthcare providers. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is, you know, if you are somebody who is interested in communication, communication theory, every job that exists in health exists in the world, including uh, communication experts, exists within healthcare. So, in healthcare, there are lawyers, there are doctors, there are plumbers, there are engineers, there are also communication scholars, um, and so don't count that out. Have a healthcare field as as a possible for career, but when it comes to uh, when it comes 
comes to communication, you know, we're interested, obviously, you're talking right now about healthcare communication, but we also focus on, you know, organizational communication, interpersonal communication issues come up, issues around mediated communication, because we have so much of our care that's given, uh, given through virtual visits nowadays, um, intercultural communication, and even critical scholarship when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice issues, which I work very closely with our organization. Um, in terms of the impact to uh, healthcare design, care delivery, quality, safety, patient outcomes, everything rises and falls on the effectiveness of our communication, our strategies, our channels, our messages. Um, if we are going to be able to really be in a true partnered relationship, creating a healing space with our patients, we have to be able to develop trust. We have to uh, be able to uh, you know, clearly communicate instruction and messages. We have to be able to clearly understand their needs um, and we need to do that both on a micro level, but also at a broad public health level. So listening to our community, identifying the reasons why people aren't accessing care or why we're seeing trends um, in healthcare. All of that comes through meeting with community leaders, meeting with um, activists and folks who are on the foreground of, of what's happening um, in the community. And so all of our ability to do that rises and falls on effective communication. I think especially that last point you made about interacting with activists and community members. I want to come back to that in a minute. But from what you're telling me, it sounds like the idea of something like, quote unquote, patient provider communication spans much larger than just like bedside manner, which is, I think, what we think about. Right. Like you think about like when I was a kid, I watched House. Remember House mm -hmm. and Hugh Laurie yeah. was, you know, he was so dry and sarcastic and it, and it like started this big conversation about like, well, how do doctors talk to their patients? But what I'm hearing from you is that that's meaningful. And also there are many other channels going on behind, around and in front of that. Is that right? Absolutely. Many other channels. There's there's different ways that we interact with our patients. Um, you know, as I mentioned a moment ago, um, we we do a lot more virtual visits uh, than we used to. In 2019, just before the pandemic, we were averaging around 39,000 virtual visits per year, per year in our organization. Um, fast forward three years, and our average is uh, now at 250,000 wow. uh, virtual visits uh, annually, and still climbing. Wow. Um, and so, you know, being able to understand what does effective communication look like in a mediated space is really important to the patient provider relationship. Also, um, you know, issues around intercultural communication. Um, you know, be, we have Detroit is a very diverse community. We have uh, lots of uh, people from elsewhere in the world who have lived here um, and, and a, a wide variety of microcosms, microcultures here, and being able to under, be sensitive, have, have cultural uh, competency, being able to develop credibility. Um, we have all kinds of things happening more broadly in society right now that have really um, posed risks to the cre credibility of, of healthcare providers. Um, and as a result, we are facing an increase in violence to healthcare workers um, wow. at people at, at risk because you know we'll hear people say you know I don't care that you 
spent your entire life literally studying this issue that you went to med school, then residency, then fellowship, and you you know you might be the world's foremost scholar on this issue. I read this thing on Wikipedia or WebMD or Facebook, and so you know I did my own quote unquote research. Oh man, um, and. And so all of that comes into play in the context of patient-provider relationships and communication. Well, that reminds me of the first episode we did when we talked about like intractable conflict, conflict, and how do you move, um, you know, an unmovable object. Um, anyway, that that's extremely important input, and I'm glad you mentioned it because again, it takes me in the direction that I want to move forward in. Can you talk a little bit about like the why, like why? Is it important for relationships to exist and be developed in the medical community? And I'll leave that question broadly so you could talk about relationships in general or specific certain types, uh, whichever you feel is the most important. Yeah, I'll say uh, break it down to thinking about it two ways, internal to our organization and then external to our organization, the relationships that you develop. Um, most healthcare organizations uh, in the U.S. now are, are very large. Mergers and acquisitions are happening. They're highly complex, highly matrix organizations. We alone in our organization employ 34,000 people uh, spanning several counties um, and lots of matrixed relationships. And so in any large organization, there is um, the organizational structure that you see on paper, and then there is what many call the shadow organization. Um, and by the shadow organization, I don't mean something nefarious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, that ill sounds intent. like that sounds like the deep state, the deep state yeah. shadow Illuminati. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't mean it that way. What I mean is it's the it's the the organizational or relational ties that aren't written down, but they're how things actually get done. Uh, so a great example of this during the height of the pandemic, um, when our our hospitals were all overflowing with patients, we were needing to possibly decant those hospitals and get some of those lower acuity patients out to other areas. So we have in the many um, medical centers that do outpatient surgeries in the area. And so we were going to transition some of those buildings to be offsite low acuity observation units for COVID patients. Um, and so this is like, you know, we're working at, at lightning speed to get these things done. I was at the hospital, it was a Saturday, I was at the hospital doing work and I get a, a text message from a friend who says, hey, we're over here at this clinic, you know, um, trying to set it up to be an ops unit starting on Monday. Do you think you could come and just pitch in? And I, I thought, I said, sure, I let, you know, let me finish up what I'm doing and I'll come over there. I thought I was going to um, help move some equipment around, just do a little bit of manual labor um, for a colleague. And I got there and there's an entire Kanban board uh, with a work stream that has my name attached to it that's you're responsible for training 150 uh, of, of the staff who are going to work this observation unit start and pay the first patient arrives on Monday. Good luck. Go. <laughs> now, that that task didn't come to me because of my job description. It came to me because of a relationship. It was a friend that worked in a different department. It was like, I know somebody who can get this done. Mm. And in so many, you know, that 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 it happens again and again and again, um, you know, when we're trying to solve issues for patients, you know, well, I, I happen to know somebody in that department. I've got a buddy that I go to happy hour with. Let me just text them and see if I can get this done for you. Um, so building and networking within a, within the organization is so important. 
I had dinner with a group of folks from, we were uh, at the Forbes under 30 event and Henry Ford had sent a bunch of uh, delegates. And, um, and so we all had dinner and we were just sharing what we did. And we realized there wasn't at that point, there was about 10 of us. And at that point in what we were doing, there wasn't any major strategic initiative in our organization that was happening at that time that didn't pass through one of us. And we realized if we just talked to each other, we could either accelerate or slow down that work just based on the quality of our communication and connection with each other. And and we weren't there because the organization put a meeting together. We were there having dinner as colleagues building relationships. Um, external to the organization, it's, it's that, but on an even broader scale. Um, I'm faculty for the uh, National College of Neuro Neurological Surgeons for their Leadership Institute. Um, and when I was there, I saw you know a physician from over here, an administrator from over there, just happened to share an idea and ideas with each other and and they came up with this incredibly innovative uh idea as a result innovation um resource sharing um not too long ago i was able to meet with my counterpoint at mayo clinic um, and we just started like we had coffee and we shared what are challenges you're facing turn to find come to find out she and i face the same staffing challenges the same pressures and we've both uh worked different solutions and we were able to share that and she was able to accelerate me dealing with a, a major challenge that i had and then vice versa just all through relationships so so much of how again the quality of what we're able to do rises and falls on communication, on relationships, and investing your energy in making those uh, a priority. And I just want to take a moment here to acknowledge like the real world implications of that. Like we're not talking about like, oh, this was at a conference and we were talking about a theory and then we got together. Like you're explaining the inner workings of how much of the like I, i'm going to use the term medical industrial complex like much of how that works and when you've got a system like that which in many cases is like you know for profit it's often up to folks who work within to craft the the, the infrastructure that can actually physically help people and assist them and get them what they need uh, if they're ill or just in terms of like routine checkups like it, it, like this all of all of this relationship building and communication is happening at such a macro and micro level and then you can actually see the the real world results and and this is going to lead me into my next question Rob you can also see the problems that arise you know those that were pre-existing before your time, and of course, the new leaks that spring right in the metaphorical boat. So my question is, what are some of these issues like you were talking about um, when when you and your colleague met for coffee? What are some of the issues that you tend to note existing uh, between like doctors and administrators as it pertains uh, to like building relationships with them or even with their patients? Yeah, I think I, I will start with what happens between doctors and administrators, physicians, providers, and administrators. Uh, the the main thing issue there is that we have competing goals as a provider and as an administrator, um, competing at complementary goals. And the reality is, it's it's the difference in our training, it's the difference in our skill set, and it's the difference in what success looks like for us. For a physician, and rightly so, um, you know, success for them is is each patient, one at a time, each case. And so the patient that is in front of them is the most important person in the world. And they're trying to solve that problem and heal that, that patient. Uh, 
For the administrator, many of my concerns are, okay, great, but how am I going to pay for that? I've got to keep the lights on. I've got to keep staff employed. I've got to make sure we don't get sued. I've got to make sure that we've got the supplies. I've got to make sure that our, our equipment is up to date. I've got to make sure that our bills are paid so that we can serve more patients. I've got to figure out how to grow the program strategically. Um, and so those concerns are very different than just a patient sitting in, in front of you, but one serves the other. Mm. Um, but what we do to physicians in the way that we train them here in the U.S. and, and around the world, really, is we, we take a very bright person who excelled in school. We put them through undergrad. We put them through med school. We put them through their residency. We put them likely through some kind of fellowship. And then we send them into a room and we say, you're now a leader. Um, go run a practice. Yeah. Well, when has that person ever sat through a business class? When have they ever sat through a leadership class? When have they ever sat through uh, training on just how to run the operations of a hospital? They haven't, and yet we expect them to do that. And so what a best practice is, is to pair. We work in dyads. You pair a, a physician leader with an administrative leader, and at its best, I say to my uh, physician leads, you set the clinical priority, you tell me what's needed, I will go create and build the structure to make sure that you can do that. At its best, that's how it works. But oftentimes, you know, you'll see things where providers will say, uh, I had some folks when I was uh, teaching at the Leadership Institute uh, say, you know, well, you're just a bean counter and all you care about is money. And I said, you're right, I do care about money. And you know why? Because there's people behind those dollars. That money means more patients we get to treat. That money means a family that gets to keep their, their parent around for Christmas. That money means people I can employ. That money means I can invest in your programs. But it is money, and I do have to count it, and I do have to worry about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but those, you know, when we don't manage that tension well, we can really be at odds. And, and, and those conflict and relationships um, are what you see all over the medical dramas on TV, where it's always the evil administrator who comes in and talks about money to the very compassionate Messiah-like physician. And I laugh now being in this role because when I see those characters on TV, I have so much more compassion for the administrator who's like, you did what? Have, did you even begin to think about how we were going to pay for that <laughs> or the legal implications of that or our staffing are out like you did what? You know, so um, those issues can be real. And on the provider side, when you have an administrator asking those questions, it can feel like, it can, but this patient, and it can feel heartless, mm -hmm. but this patient need, totally get it. Also, you can't sink the ship. It won't help anybody um, for them to, to climb out of the ocean into a ship we're sinking because we didn't think this through. Yeah, that's a really good point. And not to detract from your answer, but I, I like that you threw in there when you were like, at its best, it's when I'm telling people what to do. <laughs> Don't think I didn't catch that. <laughs> Don't think I didn't catch that. No, but no, but no, yeah, they, no I know what you mean now. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, I think it really speaks to the importance of like mediation. And I think it also speaks to the importance of understanding the roles that human interaction has, not just between something like a, a, a doctor and their patient, but also between the administrator and the doctor, who is in many ways mediating the communication between the administrator and the patient, which 
Look, if you want to get in your soapbox and talk about our healthcare system and say maybe it shouldn't work that way, uh, that's great. You can you can go ahead and do that, but it does work that way in reality. And so operating within that system is super important. I have one more question for you, and I think we have just about enough time to answer it, which is traditionally you you're working on like the quote unquote provider side of of patient provider. But I am curious to see if through your endeavors and exploits, you've been able to pick up on perhaps some tips or tricks that you might be able to offer to people who are needing to do something like go to the hospital or go to the doctor or even go to a place mm-hmm. like like urgent care. Like, Are there any uh, things, any advice that you might have for patients in terms of how they can make their healthcare experience better on the receiving end? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. One, I think a lot of healthcare organizations are investing in their ability to provide virtual care. Um, and there are very good solutions around that, that that I myself take advantage of and highly recommend if, they're, if, if they are an option for a family. For instance, I can do most of my care with my, with my uh, PCP, my primary care physician, um, from home. I have a, a virtual exam kit that hooks up to my my chart and they can they i could get on and the doctor can say okay stick this in your ear and let me see inside your ear let me hear your heartbeat and they can do all the things that they would have done in the clinic over over a video call with me including catching all my vitals wow um so so take advantage of that especially if you're in rural areas um where it's you know you have to drive some distance um the more complex your care is the bigger worries you have Um, I I don't assume that the physician is as worried about an issue that you're feeling as you are. Mm. And so it's helpful sometimes to to share a sentence with a a physician that says something like, you know, um, when it comes to this issue on a scale of one to five, I'm at about a four in terms of how much I worry about this. Because the physician, having so much more medical knowledge, may think that that issue isn't that big of a deal and may not realize what you don't know around the issue and that you might be sitting in fear wondering if, is this, you know, what does this mean for me? Um, and so being able to share, I'm really concerned about this, uh, at this level, they can pause and with empathy say, okay, let me stop, pause and put you at ease or tell you, you help you understand just how much you should be worrying about this or shouldn't be worrying about that. Um, as your care becomes more complex or more worrisome, you know, consider bringing in a partner, um, with you to be there for those appointments, not just as as emotional support, but also someone who can, in a neutral way, help you remember the questions that you wanted to ask, help remember the answers that you get, because you're, especially if you've heard unsettling news, your mind is reeling and you're not taking in everything that you're being told. So somebody who can kind of help with that. That's so, that's Um, such a good, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but that's quite literally exactly what we were talking about with Dr. Sharik Sharwani last week, the, the, the relationship between the patient and their caregiver. So I just find it funny that I don't even know if you watched that episode, but like you just hammered home one of the big points that he made last week. So that was that was very nice. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's so. I think uh, especially with complex care, it's so important to have that those kinds of supports, and we do our best to provide, you know, patient advocates and nurse navigators and all these things. But uh, someone in your own uh, relational circle that can be in that neutral space for you. I think the last uh, tip I would give to a patient is 
if you have access to your medical record through like a my chart or something like that, you have the ability to send your physicians messages, send your questions in advance. Um, they may not read it until the moment of the appointment, but then it's documented there that you have these questions or sometimes they can just get back to you through that area. Oh, that's um, nice. I love really, my patient portal. Yeah. Yeah. It can provide a great way for you to sort of set up the, the interaction for success and make sure that you don't forget anything that you wanted to cover. Yeah. And I think that that makes life easier because people are really tired of <laughs> waiting online at the doctor and you're telling me that what, I don't have to wait online anymore? I think that if we can invest in the infrastructure of what you just described, where you can have like a little device that gauges your heart and looks inside your ear and stuff like that, I think that what we will see is many more people opting in, in terms of, of uh, going to healthcare. Like, sh super short story, I, um, I have dizzy spells. And I told my doctor, I was like, should I be concerned about this? And he looked at me, he was like, no. <laughs> Sometimes people yeah. just get dizzy. And I was like, yeah. oh. I thought that like maybe I was sick and he's like, no, you just get dizzy sometimes. Like that just, like sometimes you get a pain in your chest. It just happens. It's just gas or whatever. Yeah. So that's. But the more, the more we're able to use this technology to increase access, uh, the more we will be able to help patients get ahead of their health issues in advance. We're right now mm. we're seeing the, some of the sickest patients we've seen in years because they delayed their care during the pandemic. And yeah. so now they're coming in what, what, you know, what we could have gotten ahead of, they're coming in and, and their issue has really escalated. Wow. Um, yeah. So more access, um, we can stay ahead of those and really do health care, not sick care. I love Wellness that. Care. Proactivity. Well, Rob, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you again. All right. Next week, we got womanhood. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.